Um, so we actually do have some news uh, today on the on the site. Um, well, actually, as of last night, uh, we rolled out um, versioned documentation, which has been uh, uh, a little while in the making. Um, so now every package that opted in to have their documentation hosted by the package index automatically gets versioned documentation. And so I'll just I'll, I'll run through the feature quickly. Um, the way that we decided to do it was that the latest tagged release uh, that is not a beta, so kind of the latest stable um, uh, release, um, is now the default release that you will be linked to when you hit that documentation button, if there is a latest tagged release. So if there is a package and it has documentation and it has had at least one release, click the documentation button, you will end up on the... Um, uh, you will end up on the um, latest release for the, the version of that documentation. If you don't have a release version, you'll end up on main. Um, and then if you, uh, you can basically, you can, you can toggle between the latest documentation for every major version of the package. So if there's a V3, V4, V5, you'll see three sets of hosted documentation. Plus you can still choose to check the latest documentation on the default branch. Um, and the final thing that it does is if you're if you're on any version of the documentation which is not the latest tag release, there's a little header bar at the top that just kind of lets you know you might be looking at uh, out of date or you might be looking at documentation that you don't think you're looking at. Uh, and there's a link to the latest uh, tag release. So that's the feature. Um, the, uh, the the header has also had a redesign, so it's quite a big change uh, compared to what we shipped uh, exactly two months ago. So we shipped. Um, on the 3rd of June, the um, version documentation, and it's now the 4th of August. Yeah, yeah, it's, re it's really nice. And it, it does, I mean, great description, but I think you can, you can really sum it up. It does exactly yeah. what expected, you expected to do. Yeah. You'll, you'll land on the, the version that you're probably interested in and you can easily switch around. Um, it's really great. Um, the, the UI is really great. I've, I've had no part in it. That's why I can, I can phrase it. So, so um, I, halfway, halfway through my description, I did realize it was the description who's been in the weeds on this for the last eight weeks. <laughs> um, and also a, a, there's a little reward people who on early into the um, documentation generation. We've generated version documentation all this time. We just didn't have a, a proper UI to expose it. So if you've been along for the ride from the start, you'll already have a back, you know, versions populated. Um, and uh, your picker should be populated with, you know, what Dave described, um, retract re the latest major version. So if it's 3.02 is your latest version 3 release, that'll be the one that shows up. We're not showing the you know the various minor versions you might have below the major version, just to keep that menu light. Um, there's maybe a little tidbit we can share if if you edit the URL in your URL bar, you can you can even target specific versions, but it won't be shown in the UI. Yeah. Although I did so, yeah, it's, it's great with exactly that today, so don't do that today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you're lucky I didn't read you the commit history. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long my explanation was. But yes, it's exciting. And, and we have a blog post, which is going to probably go live, I would imagine, tomorrow. Um, it's it's written and it's in draft at the moment, uh, but it's it's pretty much in good shape, I think, ready to go. Um, so uh, yeah, we're sure. Although the feature is already all all out. We have had some more news. Do you want to fill people in on any other um, kind of progress we've been making, Sven? 
Yeah, that's that's probably the binary targets um, yep. field that you that you're referring to. So on the package page, we now show if a package has binary targets, and the idea behind is behind that is um, if you're picking a target, you, you're probably interested in the source code duration for that package, and if the package has binary targets, there's a good chance that at least some of the you know the content isn't isn't open source. So that's something you might want to be aware of, and there's now. Uh, it's properly labeled, and that has been the work mainly by by Sam Dean, who um, who pushed that feature, um, and um, that went went live. I think this week. It's 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 been in the work for a while, but it's it's been really really great, and it's out now. It's, it's almost out now. Um, it's actually gated on uh, production right now because we're still uh, just figuring out a little issue with populating back populating all the actual data from that so all the code is there it is actually right. deployed onto the it's, it's deployed onto production it's just um gated behind a, a feature flag at the moment we're just right. we're not quite there with the data but it's uh, so basically this feature is should you look more carefully at the source code situation that's it because you can check binary targets very easily by just having a quick look inside the package swift but you'd never think to do that on some of these packages and it's it's not we don't want it to be a um a negative thing necessarily um it's it's just you should just take a little bit of a closer look at this package before so that you know what you're getting into uh, in case, you know, I know a lot of have policies about not using packages that don't have all the source code there. So it's, it allows you yeah. to find that kind of information easily. Yeah. So well, that's that. Kind of, yeah, final bit of news. I'm not sure if you have anything else on your news list. I do have an, another quick item. Go for it. And that is something we tweeted about already. So we crossed 500 releases this week. Um, I think it's up to 503 or something right now. Um, and that's, it's, I mean, it, that's quite the number. It's, we're averaging like four releases per week over the last two and a bit years. So yeah, a bit of a, bit of a, a milestone. milestone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it helps that all we need to do is, is tag to, yes. <laughs> to, to get the releases out, but still, you know, you do, you do need to put a bit of work in. So that, that's been really great. And, um, Yes, it's, uh, it's, I, I think our version numbers are also um, uh, getting kind of up there. I, I have been wondering whether, <laughs> whether we should make the plunge for a V3 uh, release because um, I don't remember why we released the V2, but we're currently on version 2.74.1. <laughs> I think version 2 was uh, the build system. Oh, was it? Okay, all right. Um, yeah. We need to just... We need to oh, we should have... Documentation could have been documentation it. Could yeah, have been we missed that. Yeah. Yeah. When do you when do you upgrade your major version? That is the big question. <clears throat> yeah, but yes, five hundred. Well, every year in September, right? Uh, certainly, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly a, a nice milestone, and um, uh, and you're right, actually, that, that the the fact that releasing a new version is very simple. It is just tag a release with a with a semantic version number and push that to Git, and twenty minutes later it will be live on the site. Um, that is like having that setup um is a really powerful way to make sure that you release often and obviously keep it also makes sure that you keep your uh, default branch deployable um uh, and we're we're, yeah. we're good at doing that i don't think i don't touch wood we've not had any uh, <laughs> situations where we've deployed like a bad default branch i don't think have we maybe we have no yeah no. No, I don't think so. Uh, if we have, I've forgotten about it, so it might as well not have happened. Well, you know, there's lots of lots of very basic tests that, that would really prevent that. Yes. You know, just building the stuff alone, it's 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 pretty hard to break. Well, as you said, touch wood. Yeah. 
but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure I could do it if I tried. <laughs> <laughs> don't, All right, don't make then, it a uh, challenge, right? Don't. Uh, <laughs> All right, you're ready. Are you ready for? I'm ready for, for the quiz. quiz night? Yes, I'm no surprises this week because I I saw the tweet earlier and I saw Marco who is listening uh, submit some questions and I I definitely didn't go and make those queries myself. Well, I changed the database password. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I didn't. I, I, um, I obviously did see the questions, but I didn't uh, uh, go and have a look at the database. We'll we'll start easy. Um, did you press record? <laughs> I did press record. Yes. <laughs> there you go. First, first one, first point. <laughs> um, the first one is one we had very early on. Not sure if you remember the results, um, and that's the package that's been, or the list of packages that have been longest in development. So longest in development is when was their first commit? Yeah. And um, you know, uh, uh, how long ago has that been? What's your, what's your guess? I mean, if you know the package, that's great. What's your guess for? How old the oldest packages that we've got? That's a good question. I I know Swift Package Manager is in the index, and that's it wasn't released until quite late, but it was I think it was started relatively early. Um, that could be that would be my guess actually. You're forgetting something. Packages can adopt SPM late in there. Oh, of in course their they can. Life cycle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course they can. Yes. Okay. In that case, um, I wonder if it's something like SD Web Image, because I know that's been around for a very no, long time. not quite. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, it's it's actually not showing up in the list. I'll probably, um, you know, lift the suspense there. It's it's OC Mock. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, which is probably a bit problematic because what it does doesn't really if if i read this correctly it doesn't really work that well anymore with swift because it does objective c style swizzling to to do what it does so cmock is a package to, development to help with um, tests and mocking yes uh, actually i think we might have a small bug in our uh, date uh, time display because it's actually 17.9 years um this this package is two weeks away from getting its driver's license in the eu <laughs> so um and legally, it's allowed to drink in Germany, which is a very convenient thing when you're dealing with software. Especially so, so there you go. Uh, that's the kind of objective. And objective yeah. 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 So there you go. OC Mock. Um, also, we've got um, Shortcut Recorder, which is actually a nice package. You can. Yes, I've used it. You can. Uh, you have had a key. Yeah. Oh, you, okay. Yeah. So you know it's just for the for the listeners. It's a package where you can you have a button and you want to configure a, a keyboard shortcut for it. And you sort of have a text field that you click in and then you type out the shortcut that's the sort of thing it displays the keys that you press and then you can you know you can record them as a, as a shortcut so it has nothing to do with with the the, the shortcuts you know the automation stuff and obviously it doesn't because it's 16 years old <laughs> um then we have sparkle i think we mentioned sparkle last time yeah. 15 years coco async socket 14.3 years and pl crash reporter oh, seven years and, 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 yeah, report, yeah. if you look yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's one we've used, and it's now Microsoft. And I think it was uh, was it plausible? It was labs? plausible labs. It's, yeah, and they, I think, isn't it? Yeah, the, I remember Microsoft taking yeah. it over and making it part of the Azure um, kind of app center thing that they do. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, all of these you can you can tell that they are you know Cocoa, Objective C, sort of they are they are the old guard that adopted SPM, and yeah, there we go. Quite quite interesting. interesting yeah. These, um, I, I didn't check which of those are still 
in active development, but the, I mean, OCMOC, I've seen they had uh, in January, they had um, commits, right. so there's, there's still stuff happening. Shortcut recorded the last Sparkle, we know. Yeah, right. yeah, the short Sparkle is definitely still in development. Um, the shortcut recorder was PL- two, two years ago, last uh, right. And PL Crash Reporter, I've seen they've it's also still right uh, being developed. Yeah. So, there you go, there Very we go. Interesting. And then, um, yeah, then we should get to um, Marco's questions. He's, he's probably so really was excited to hear mainly about keywords, right? <laughs> yes, uh, I should preface this by saying, um, thanks to John's work, um, John of um, Stream. Um, uh, we have a, a ready-made view now to actually query that very easily. Um, so recently we shipped uh, a feature on the package page. You see how many um, packages are referring, uh, referencing a certain keyword. In, a, in the little keyword bubble, there's a number. So we have a view, and that makes it really easy to de- determine these these numbers. So the number of keywords in SPI, what do you think it is? What, what's, the, um, what's the total distinct count? So I know that it's a very long tail. Um, uh, and actually, I'm not sure whether you did this query or can do it quickly, but I think a second interesting number would be how many keywords are there with at least two instances, because I think that number would be much smaller than the first number. So I'm going to say that for the first number, total number of keywords across all packages, that's going to be a thousand. That's not, that's not, uh, that's not quite it. Okay. That's a lot higher. Sorry, I was kind of, I can't do two things at the same time when I was running the query you just asked me to do. <laughs> and I get completely. <laughs> so, no, it's a lot higher. A lot higher, okay. Um, it's 5,000, wow, okay. 5,077 distinct keywords. And and that goes to, to the long tail because running that query that you just mentioned, that's the count of uh, keywords where the count is, is uh, well, it's actually more than two. Hold on, I should have. Yeah, more than one. One. Yeah. And that's uh, 1,700. Okay, that's so it, it, it is so, significantly less, uh, but it's also yeah. quite high. It's also quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is, uh, and we'll get to that in a moment, because the next question is, what are the top keywords? And I think that'll, that'll explain why why that, why that structure is as it is, so, because you can probably guess yeah, what the most, almost, what the most common keyword is. I can almost guarantee the top keyword, because I see it on every single package. The top keyword, I'm pretty <laughs> confident, is Swift. It is, yeah. Followed by quite a distance um, by iOS and then yeah. macOS. I'm not going and, to, to um, spill the beans here. And so it, it's, it seems um, like that's too obvious a keyword for the package index, right? But, re- but remember where these keywords yeah. come from. These keywords come from exactly, GitHub. Yeah. And having the tag Swift on a repository in GitHub is actually quite useful. Yeah. Yeah, it, it might make sense that we actually... We could potentially. Drop I mean, it. I'm not sure yeah. how much harm it. I mean, it does yeah, habit, exactly. but, it's also um, not doing any harm. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. And okay, so I have a so question, there we go. Have a question for you on that. How many packages right. have the keyword Swift on them out of our four thousand something packages? Um, almost half. Almost half. Okay. Two thousand two hundred and ninety-four. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's quite, it's, um, yeah, it's quite the number, but I guess lots of people don't tag because they sort of, yes, you know, a lot of packages don't even have it. So many people will, will see what it's about. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So there we go. And then uh, Marco's third question was the package with the most keywords. And that's actually, that's actually um, something we can't really answer because we cap the number of keywords that we pull from GitHub at 20. Oh. So, um, we we could lift that cap a bit. I mean, I'm I don't want to lift it entirely because I, I always want to 
run queries with a cap, so we're not open to you know ingesting like unbounded amounts of data. And I guess beyond twenty, there's also you know, is there much point? Even if they have twenty five, you know, you no one's going to well, it depends. Going to which, really see that it depends which twenty, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's true. But yeah, I, I feel like we could. I, so I, I, I'd either forgotten or didn't know that we were capping the ingestion of, of keywords. Um, but it feels like we could potentially increase that from twenty. I, I think we could easily pull in a hundred without putting in a, a putting ourselves in, in danger of uh, being overloaded by keywords. Yeah, yeah. So the and but it's not a huge number either. So there's um, twenty six packages with twenty or more keywords. Right. So um, yeah. it, it's clear that we're right near the you know near the um, peak of the yeah. Yeah. The if, distribution. If we did pick up, then we get I'm sure. So yeah, there you go. All right, um, I have a, I have a, 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 a not a, not exactly a quiz and not exactly news, but something else that happened this week, which which I, I wanted to talk about with you. Um, I had a recommendation for a podcast uh, from Daniel Steinberg, who I'm sure many of you know, um, and the podcast was. So I wrote down a load of notes about it, but I didn't actually write down the podcast name. Uh, here we go. The podcast is called Co-Recursive um, uh, and is uh, coding stories from Co-Recursive. Um, and uh, the issue, the uh, episode that he recommended was on uh, CPAN, the uh, Comprehensive Perl something network. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. As you can see, I'm, I'm extremely comprehensive. Pearl Archive Network, exactly. Extremely well-researched. Um, so, the reason I thought this was interesting enough to talk about this week is, first of all, it's pretty much the first repository of kind of package-type code that existed. Um, uh, any guesses at when uh, CPAN was, was, was kind of became active? Whoa, how old is Pearl... Well, I can I tell you, I can, you in the 90s. I can give you a hint. CPAN came after Pearl 5, and we're still on Pearl 5. Uh, okay, well, that's not helping. <laughs> <laughs> Pearl 5 has been around for a very long time. I'm, I'm pretty sure, well, the last, last I used Pearl was probably around 2000, so I'm pretty sure it was around then. Okay, so CPAN existed since 19, Late 90s. 1995, yeah. Um, oh, there you go. And it started up as a way, um, there was a, a Usenet group where people would share bits of Perl code, uh, and then it became a mailing list where people would share bits of Perl code, and then eventually it started to become an actual archive of uh, kind of importable Perl code. Uh, and certainly, it's the, it, there probably were... Uh, other smaller ones, but it's the, it's the first time a, a, a directory of um, a directory of um, library code, um, open source library code, became popular at least. Um, but one thing I didn't know about because I, I actually I didn't really use Perl. Um, I, I I was a, a Microsoft person, so I was the ASP side of things at that at that of my uh, of, of internet history. Um, so I didn't really use Perl. Um, so one thing I didn't know about is there was a thing called CPAN testers. Now, when we uh, wrote the build system for the package index, which is the system that goes and compiles all the packages for all a matrix of different configurations and platforms and all the rest of it, um, we uh, probably thought of, to ourselves that we were being pretty uh, kind of 
future thinking in that with, with that kind of system. Certainly, it felt it felt like it was a it was something quite futuristic to build. Uh, automated compatibility. I mean, who who would have thought it, right? But CPAN testers um, from 1998 had the same system. Um, and we also get emails every now and again or issues being opened up or something like that that suggest that we should outsource the building of uh, all of our compatibility tests to the community. Um, and so, you know, everyone has a Mac that's sitting there and the CPU is probably idle for 80 or 90% of each person's day. Um, why should we not use those machines to build our compatibility test results and ship them back to the central source and we can report them? Um, and um, yeah. and every time we, we get that suggestion, we shudder a little bit because we... <laughs> <laughs> um, we we, uh, we we realize how what, what a difficult thing that would be to do, um, but actually, CPAN testers did that in 1998 as well. <laughs> so nice. there was no um set of builders. There was just build reports um, um, coming in from all different platforms, all different Unixes, all different versions of, um, of Perl, all different versions of these packages, uh, and it, they started to build a huge compatibility database. So any guesses on how the reports were submitted? Via email. Email is exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> what other way could it be, right? So Yes. <laughs> so there is a mailing list, and this mailing list still exists today, and there are build reports being submitted. In the time that we've been talking about it, there will have been multiple build reports submitted. It's still extremely yeah. active. Um, and yeah. you basically have a, a, a program that will format a, a compatibility report into a very specific uh, format of text, and you email that text to a mailing list and the, the app picks it up on the other end and adds that report into their compatibility matrices, um, which is kind of mind blowing. Uh, and also it's beautiful. Well, and, and it's also, it's Perl, right? This is, this is passing, passing text, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like, yeah. there's no other way to actually do that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I thought, no, it's great, but I thought it, this, this is yeah, so yeah. Unixy, right? You, you, you use, I mean, it's using, it's using what what was common at the time. An email is, yeah. you know, you have the delivery all sorted out. You have the address to send it to, and you know, it's yeah, it's beautiful. So I think what really we should do is we should rebuild our build system uh, with that as our blueprint. Great. Yes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised Ben didn't drop off the uh, call. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's the last bit of uh, uh, non-package talk that I wanted to uh, talk about today. Cool, very nice. So, so that podcast was called. It was called um, co-recursive, um, and co -recursive. the uh, right. the episode was called um, "Coding Stories: Colon CPAN." Nice. I better check that out. Great. Um, all right, shall we do some package steps? Yes. Uh, should I uh, kick us off? Yeah, go for it. So uh, let's take the first one I'm going to um, uh, talk about today is uh, by Gentian Barileva, and it's called Vision Face Aware. Um, so this is actually a package which has been, um, it's a new, it's a fairly new package. It, was, it had its version one release six days ago, um, and it was, 
a, is a continuation of uh, a package by Bo Novell uh, called Faceaware, uh, and that package that, archive, that package has now been archived. And Vision Faceaware is the kind of spiritual successor to it um, uh, going forward. And what it does is it adds an extension to UI image view uh, where you can basically say, show the image that you put in this image view, please center it on uh, a person's face if a person's face exists. Um, so super common in a load of iOS and Mac apps to want to do a profile picture, you know, a little circular picture and those profile pictures, all sorts of stuff. And wouldn't it be nice if you could put an image view in there that used Apple's vision framework to do the actual work of detecting the face uh, and then grab the output of that and just make sure that every profile picture you put in your application centers the image on the person's face. I think it's just, it's such a lovely feature. It's a, it's a perfect thing for a package as well, because if this package were ever to go up yeah. and that feature stopped working in your app or you had to remove that feature, not the end of the world. But it's the kind of thing that it's hard to justify the time to do that level of detail yeah. on a profile picture. So I think it's a perfect, kind of the scope of it is a perfect package. Um, I don't know, I haven't used it, but it seems from the from the uh, demonstrations in the readme, it seems to do a really good job uh, getting it right. Uh, and of course, it, it builds on Apple's vision framework, which a huge amount of uh, uh, brain power has gone into behind the scenes. Um, yeah, yeah, that looks really great. And as you say, exactly the kind of thing you, you want to get for free because, you know, you want to have the, you know the, the feature but don't want to sink a lot of time into it that's it's the perfect rabbit hole to fall into yeah. right you know you're preparing your demo you think and you see all your images are off and you think oh god what am i going yes. to do and then you you spend time that you don't have on on fixing that thing <laughs> oh that's great so i thought that Vision was, face uh, I thought that was a, a nice great. little yeah. um uh package to to talk about great lovely my first package is called DSF Sparkline by Darren Ford. Um, I think we had a package um, by Darren before, and this is um, this is a nice package. It does is it, you you can create sparklines, and these are these little um, um, charts, mm -hmm. you know, the inline text yeah, charts. Like, Often um, when you have a, you look at a web page with a stock ticker and that, and that sort of stuff. And their intention know, was little, to be like almost big enough that they could that they could decide a line of text, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and it, you know, what it does is it's not something to give you like precise information, but it, it gives you trends. You know, you can easily see a trend in data. You know, is this line going up? Is it going down? Is it flat? Is it volatile? That sort of thing. So really nice, um, uh, nice component, both for um, UIKit, um, Macos as well, AppKit and SwiftUI. Um, and it, it just works in trying a playground. So um in case people aren't aware, we have this feature. I'm probably going to mention this every week now, <laughs> where you can click a button on a package page and, and open up a package in a playground. And what's really nice here with a visual package like that, you you can paste in the example from Darren's um, README, paste it into a playground, and then actually see the output in your playground. Um, and I've done that. And then you can obviously tweak it. And because there's there's quite a, a number of different styles that the package supports and. I always like to play around with stuff like that and being able to do that in a playground is, is really nice. And so yeah, lovely package, lots of configuration options, bar charts, horizontal, vertical, line charts, pie charts. It's it's all there. That sounds right. And it's like it's something you'll still need even though Swift charts is around because it solves a different problem, right? This is you know, this is a, a bit um 
a bit tangential to what Swift Charts is actually offering. So really nice. It's interesting. I wonder how close you could get to a Sparkline with Swift Charts. Yeah, I guess you could probably embed a, a view, right, and, and downsize it, but I wonder what happens with... Well, I guess you could just hide the, you know, the, yep. uh, the axes hide and all stuff. The axes. But yeah. Uh, Oh, super far down, no no grid lines, no axis lines, just literally yeah. a line chart um, and, 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 a, and with a small size. So, yeah, I think that'd be an interesting little yeah. experiment. But you're right that it's such a... The value of an opinionated chart is really high. You know, the fact that this comes out of the box and tells you if you want to display like a glanceable bit of information, this is the best way to do it. And whether you can create a all multi-purpose, you know, general purpose chart framework is almost irrelevant because having a a consistent way to do it is also there's a lot of value in that too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would only make sense to actually use Swift charts here if if you had Swift charts elsewhere and didn't want to add an extra dependency yeah. for something quite similar and then you'd probably try and shrink it down because otherwise why would you fiddle, you know, yeah. try and shoehorn Swift charts into this, you know, solution when when it's it's right there and if you look at the styles that it offers there are quite a few that that you probably would struggle you know coming up with swift charts at least as easily as it's as it's available here so yeah there you go swift uh no not swift charts uh dsf sparkline <laughs> by darren Ford. fantastic <laughs> all right my my second one is a two-in-one actually um two packages by the same uh author um and that author is audio kit so audio kit has been around for a very long time it's an open source audio, well, it's, it's a collection of packages, but one of them is an open source audio processing framework. Uh, and I will prefix this entire discussion by saying that I have zero musical ability whatsoever. Um, but there are two new packages that uh, arrived um, this week. In fact, uh, they arrived um, yesterday. One of them was modified one day ago, uh, and one of them was modified 19 hours ago. Uh, but they've both been in development for a couple of months. Um, and... Uh, the first one is called Keyboard, uh, and it will render in the Swift UI uh, a musical keyboard. So uh, white notes, black notes, uh, labeled notes with all the different um, uh, musical notes on there, different colors. Uh, if you want to render a musical keyword, I am pretty confident that this is going to be your best choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the reason it's going to be best choice is because one of the things that Audio does, as well as release an open source set of uh, frameworks for audio processing, is they release a whole load of synthesizer and keyboard apps out to the App Store. And so I'm pretty confident that this will have come out of some very battle-tested uh, code in real-world uh, applications. Um, so that's uh, Keyboard by uh, AudioKit. And the other one is called Tonic, um, also by yes, Audio yeah. Kit. And so this is, um, uh, well, the description of it in the in the in the summary is a Swift library for music theory. Um, so you can basically say things like, um, "Give me uh, in the key of C minor all of the chords in that key," or uh, "Filter the chords in the key of C minor by the fact by the, by any chords that contain the note C." Um, uh, give me an intersection between the chords in C and the chords in C minor. And then you get all of this is like Swift types coming out of this library uh, for musical theory. Yeah. I am not pretending that this is going to be a library that everyone is going to use. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I did think it was a fascinating uh, uh, thing to talk about because um, having 
a data set that would not normally be represented in a programming language like this suddenly codified into Swift types is actually quite interesting. Yeah, that's really nice. It's really nice. It actually might be helpful when you're, um, when you have sheet music, you often have the guitar tabs. And um, if you're not super familiar with what's in a chord, you could potentially use this to actually give you the notes that are in the chord just from looking at that um, at the guitar tabs. So that's actually maybe a nice nice use case, even if you have no no use for for it in your in your you know software or anything, just as a as a tool. So you're suggesting that um, as you're learning to play uh, a keyboard or the guitar, you could load up a Swift playground and have have a REPL there. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, well, why not? You might have your iPad with your sheet music already, so you just switch around. And... <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I think it's a new. It's going to be the new way to learn how to play an instrument. <laughs> cool, great. Oh, it looks great. Um, my second package is called Markdown UIS by Guille Gonzalez, and it's a package that um, gives you a common mark spec compatible or compliant um, view. Uh, both Swift UI again, well, no, it's, it's uh, Swift UI only, um, a view that you can use to to render Markdown. And I, I found that nice. Again, I, I plucked this into a trying a playground thing to actually run this and play around with it to see what it, what it actually supports. And I think what's interesting here, now this you probably know better than I do, there is some Markdown support in attributed string, isn't there, yeah, where you have basic Markdown. Um, you know, styling with bold and, and yeah. italic and stuff. But common mark goes quite a bit beyond that where you have um, inline HTML and that sort of stuff, heading levels, lists, and all that. Um, and there's a, there's a DSL to express that. So that's that's really nice. Um, nice package to, to easily um, uh, render markdown. And it's probably the, you know, the gateway drug to a, to a new side project of building a markdown editor or something. <laughs> sure. It's quite dangerous yeah. to open that up. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was in last year's releases, the iOS 15 um, releases, that they introduced a markdown to attributed string uh, processor. But, but it is intentionally limited in scope. And so it sounds like maybe if and when you run out of steam with that, this is potentially the solution for where to go. Yeah, I mean, definitely for full fully fledged documents, right, where you have like a full document structure and that if you look at the examples you can immediately tell this is what you would use over something that renders, you know, like snippets that are effectively, you know, single line or paragraph style snippets and this this is for you know multi thousand documents. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Really nice. Uses the badges. That's always a thumbs up. So, so there did, you go. Uh, so did uh, all, both of the audio kit uh, frameworks too, which is also nice. <laughs> That's great. Fantastic. I think that um, on, a, on a slightly slightly related topic, the the amendment to the adding a package process where we now mention that badges uh, can be um, uh, can be placed in, into your readme made a huge difference for how many people actually go in, which is great. Uh, we also recently added the, the uh, link to the documentation um, stuff too. Uh, and you'll, as you'll read, if you read the blog post that we're going to publish tomorrow, uh, more, um, the we're now up to 103 uh, packages that have generated documentation with uh, our documentation system, which is actually, I think, quite impressive. Yes, it's not a huge percentage of the total number of packages, but if you think about the total number of packages that are active development, that's obviously a percentage of the total. Um, and so I think having 103 up from 20 when we 
uh, first look is, is pretty impressive. I just love it when, when I go to the package page and there's a documentation link. Yeah. It's, it's so great to see when packages adopt it. Um, and I just, yeah, just hope more people do it, especially now. I think some people were, were perhaps also went for version docs because they have it already. Right. Um, I know some authors have their version docs and it's important for them to have access to that. So I, I'm hopeful that, um, you yeah, know, there's a, a few extra packages that will find their way um, into hosting the, the docs on Swift Package Index. Now. I think the only potential hold up that, that people might have with that is um, if they have been maintaining version docs themselves for a period of time and then they add documentation through our system, we will only start maintaining version docs from today. Uh, but yeah. just in case anyone is either listening now who's in that situation or in li listening on the recording, um, if you are in that situation, that's a problem. Um, please drop us a note and we'll see what we can do because it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that we could go on a per package basis and generate back annotation. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I'm not speaking out of too, too far out of turn there. No, I was actually going to to say exactly the same. And our fees are very. Great. All right, let's uh, wrap it up. We're five minutes yep. over. All right. So All right. thank you everyone for listening. And um, we yep. will do another one of these in two weeks. Uh, and we shall post all links to all the packages that we've talked about tonight. And also include a link to that podcast uh, in the show notes, which we'll publish in an hour or so, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.